welcome to the Lonnie Swain Show podcast. I'm your host, Lonnie Swain. I'm a media veteran, digital content creator, and strategist. My career has required many cross-country relocations from my hometown of New Orleans to Baltimore, St. Louis, Chicago, Dallas, back to New Orleans, and now Miami, Florida. The purpose of this show is to remind you that everyone has to go through something to get somewhere. I lead personal and professional development conversations in hopes of inspiring you to live your best and most authentic lives. And just a reminder, I always love to know what you think about the podcast. So don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Thank you so much for listening. Now let's get into the show. All right. On today's episode, I am so excited to have joining the show Alex Batdorf. She is the founder and CEO of Get Shit Done, a company focused on helping female leaders and founders strategically grow their companies through media, coaching, consulting. She is the co-founder and former CMO of ZipFit Denim, a multi-million dollar investor-backed e-commerce company helping you find your best-fitting designer denim. She's been featured in Forbes and has spoken around the nation at Harvard, Turner Broadcasting, Fear Paradox, etc. And now she is here today on the Lonnie Swain Show podcast, Alex Welcome to the show. Oh, hey, Queens. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to share your story and your journey with my listeners. And let's get started with how did you get into entrepreneurship? Because I was doing my research and you pitched your first company at 19. So did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur or did you kind of stumble into it? I find it so interesting when people are like, from when I was a kid, I had a lemonade stand and I just knew I was going to build businesses. And I was like that kid that was, my mom always laughs because when people ask me when I was a little girl, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would say, I'm going to rule the world. And then they would laugh Mm. and Mm -hmm. I would have like dead ass face on like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm dead ass So, I mean, I didn't know that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I knew that from when I was a kid, I just knew that I had big visions for things. And I always saw myself leading and building. And it wasn't until I got to college and started my first company that I could articulate what it was that I love to do. Because when you get to college, you're you know out from the reins of your parents, you get to explore a little more. And I got to dibble and dabble. And so um, when I got to University of Chicago, probably my, it was my junior year. I don't know what it was about the water of my year, um, 2012, but there were so many entrepreneurs that came out of it. Like people who ended up having companies recognized by the white house, who went to Y Combinator. Mm -hmm. There was just something where we all congregated somehow our energies just like (laughs) met. And there was Mm -hmm. an amazing entrepreneurial club that popped up that year. And we were all a part of it. It It's probably like 10 of us. And so Mm -hmm. what we would do is talk about what ideas we had for companies and would help each other. It was kind of like what you would probably call today a mastermind where we would meet once a week and just help one another out. So my first company in college that I started with one of my friends was a platform where we were helping college women trade their clothing on campus using virtual currency. 
oh, that wow. company ended up failing. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it was a really good lesson for me in learning um, not to just go into business with friends after you guys have had a couple of drinks and think it's a great idea. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It's more so it's beyond that and not saying that can't work. <laughs> but I learned a great lesson because in that company, I was a CEO in leadership and what it really takes. And after that, um, that experience led me to meeting my co-founder at my next company, ZipFit Denim, where a mentor of mine for over a decade now who became an investor in that company, he met my co-founder who originally had the idea for it. She was pitching it. And afterwards, because he was one of the judges, went up and he said, well, what do you need? And she was like, well, I want to make this a business, but I need business partners. And he's like, I have the girl for you. So Mm. we really hit it off. Now, Um, wait, wait, wait. wait. Before you go (laughs) into that, I want to ask you about your first business. And number one, why do you consider it a failure? And have you identified what could have made it more successful? Yeah, failure more so. I mean, and this is the tough thing about failures. It's like, I think there's such a negative connotation around failure um, where I see them as learning lessons. They're lessons to me. Like you need to fail to understand how to improve basically. Right. But where we failed is, or where I I can speak for myself, where I failed because I was the CEO is really in, how do I describe this? Um, I think it was more so looking outside of an ideal for something and thinking like, oh, I'm just going to have all my friends come along for the ride and I can just position you here. And and they might not be the best person for the job, but you just want to, because you're excited Mm. when you're young and starting something. Actually, I I don't think it matters what age, but when you're starting something, you're excited. So you want people close to you that you love, um, that care about you to be along for the ride because you have this idea of this is going to be huge. And I want the people I know that love me and support me to be a part of it too. And I think I approached it the wrong way. So that's why I would say it was Mm -hmm. a failure because I mean, technically that company failed because it did not end up going to market. But I think the real failure and learning lesson for me was understanding that in order to build a company, it's about really fulfilling your vision. And in order to do that, you have to think logically and have the passion to do that. And Logic includes not just thinking with your emotions of, hey, I want my friends to be along. It's like, well, are your friends the right people to mm-hmm. move this vision forward. And that's what I really exactly. had to learn. Mm-hmm. Just because y'all have fun together at the club doesn't mean that y'all can do business together and it's going to be successful. Honey, let me tell you. <laughs> it's, real. it's real. And just to clarify for people who may not know, can you explain what it means to go to market, that it didn't go to market, what that term means? Yeah. So when you have an idea for something, and I think... This is what's so interesting about today is everyone's an entrepreneur, everyone's a CEO, everyone's a boss bitch, like this, everything's right. just happening. And let me know mm-hmm. if I should stop cursing because I am a curse freak. <laughs> oh no, look, <laughs> that is part of your um, your story. You, you sometimes need colorful language to get yes. the full picture. <laughs> I'm, I'm very colorful. You can't see me right now. She has a lot of hand gestures <laughs> happening. Um, yes. Um, but going to market, it means it's going beyond just having the idea. It means not only executing, 
because you could execute on something and not come up with anything. Going to market means that you were able to validate with your idea that people wanted it. There is a demand there and going to market means fulfilling that demand. So with that company, we weren't able to go to market because we were building out the technology and before we could even get it to market, get it in the hands of customers, everything just started falling apart in terms of the the internal pieces of it like team. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's what it means to go to market. Okay. Cause just wanted to clarify that sometimes, you know, people can go to market, but it just never becomes profitable. And so then that's considered a failure or, um, you know, just all the different terms and in which, you know, people can feel like, it didn't go quite where we thought it was going to go or where we wanted it to go. So in in our minds, it's a failure. And it's so Um, confusing. There's so many terms. Yeah. And And so now fast forward, someone says they want to do zip fit and I have the perfect person to connect you with. And that perfect person is you. And so then you meet your partner for zip fit. Yep. I met my co-founders, um, so um, in that in that company, I had two co-founders. One um, was our CEO and then the other was our CTO and I was our CMO. So CMO is chief marketing mm-hmm. officer and then CTO is chief technology officer. ZipFit is an e-commerce company helping consumers find their best fitting designer denim where we customize it for free. And, and I just want to note that it's interesting you go from working with friends and now you meet total strangers and go into business. Yes. Total (laughs) strangers. Um, And it was really referral based. And I'm really, I'm grateful for that because sometimes when you're building a company and this is something I struggle with, like I interviewed one of my friends for my show, um, Katie Lynch, who's based in Chicago. She's one of the, she's one of the founders of Codeverse. Her and her husband work together and Mm -hmm. it's incredible. They built multiple companies together and they can do it so well. I don't know if I can do that because mm-hmm. I know who I am and especially in business. And sometimes it's very hard for people who are emotionally attached to do business without taking it personal. And I, I want right. to clear something up. Business is personal because it's human relationships. Mm-hmm. But the type of emotion you might bring to your family or your friends and you might get in your head about isn't something you necessarily do with acquaintances or people you don't know. You don't right. think about it as much. You don't think, mm-hmm. well, why would they do that? Or why would she talk to me like that or have that tone when it wasn't even anything? So it was interesting having that dynamic but was what was validated was the fact that my mentor who basically vetted for me like okay these must be good people mm-hmm. and we just all just happened to be really great puzzle pieces that made a whole puzzle and in the beginning because we brought something so uniquely different to the table um, and this is something I tell people all the time when you're trying to build a business is co-founders should not have similar skill sets you want mm-hmm. someone who is going to fill the weaknesses you have and bring that so they can amplify your strengths um, yeah and, and vice versa so it was great because I mean you know one of my co-founders was finance the other was technical and I was the marketing person and it made for a really good combination um yeah balance it was very balanced very balanced no one touched Mm -hmm. the other person's thing but we were able to really 
um, objectively help the others during during that time when we were building. That's awesome. And so that business successfully got three million in funding. Yeah, that's something I saw you posted about even on Instagram today. So how did you go about? Yeah doing that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So we raised close to 3 million prior to me resigning and we'll probably get into that later. Um, And I believe now we've raised close to 5 million since. And in terms of how we went about it. So which first congratulations on that. That's a huge accomplishment. Thank you. Thank you. Um, It is quite a journey and roller coaster (laughs) ride when you're Mm -hmm. fundraising capital. Like anyone who has raised capital can tell you Um, but it's something unique when it comes to women raising and there's layers when you come down to race and socioeconomic, like there's just so much to unpack. And so here you had, even though I had two co-founders, um, the people raising the funds were myself and my other co-founder, who's also a female and our CTO, who was the male was the one who stayed back. And usually a lot of times mm-hmm. when there's co-founders who have a male, they bring the man into the room because a lot of times investors respond better implicitly or explicitly if there is a man in the room. Um, so mm-hmm. we, we did that on purpose. And also our CTO mm-hmm. and our co-founder, uh, who was our CTO, was just not, he, he just didn't like doing that entire thing. So we would go mm-hmm. and it, it really started with network and something I like to make very clear around raising capital Access is really important for anything. And one of my favorite quotes is success is determined by, is not determined by class, it's determined by access. And obviously Mm. things like, you know, class and things like that can amplify whether you get more access, but it's important to understand the access points for when people raise capital. So for example, Mm -hmm. I did not come from money. My family did not put any money into my company. Neither did my co-founders did not come from any money at all. The access Mm -hmm. point for us to raising capital was the fact that I went to one of the top schools in the world. I went to University of Chicago. And then that became my access point. Even though I didn't come from money, I went to UFC on academic scholarships, financial scholarships. But once I got into that school, that was my access point to a network that I probably wouldn't have otherwise had access to, maybe got it another Mm. way. Um, And then my business partner went to the business school. That's another access point because a lot of Mm. our investors, I would say 90% of them early on had direct connections or secondary connections to University of Chicago. And so Mm. what I like to make very clear two entrepreneurs considering raising capital is that look at the majority of them that have, they went to certain schools, someone went to business school. There's just something that it's, it's very apparent. And we don't talk Mm -hmm. about our privileges when it comes to raising capital, which is very important. This is why the system Mm -hmm. is so broken because we don't identify why it's so hard. But if you take Mm -hmm. a step outside of that, there are ways to do it when you don't have access, but we don't need to go into that today. Well, and before before we get off of it, though, just really quickly, something that I was wanting to ask about, and this is probably a good segue to it, when entrepreneurs know they want to be entrepreneurs, do you find that going to school 
is necessary or beneficial. And I think that this kind of speaks to that because there are some people who feel like, well, you know, I know I want to have my own business. I don't need to go to school to do that because they look at, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs and people like that who have successfully started businesses without Mm -hmm. finishing school. So what is your opinion about that? I would say context matters. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. And I think when we look at these, these people that didn't go to school, let's say Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, we have to look at the context that we're <laughs> we're talking about. These people, Mark Zuckerberg dropped out of what Harvard, <laughs> so mm-hmm. he, was, he didn't finish school, but he dropped out of Harvard. Um, mm-hmm. That's an access point. Bill Gates, I think, was very similar, and I think Bill Gates came from an engineering family or or whatever it was. So, context matters. I think both of them came from some sort of of wealth in some way. Um, however, mm-hmm. I do not want to downplay the fact that. There are plenty of people who did not go to college that were able to make it happen. I have a cousin who has a very successful construction company who did not go to college and he's killing the game seven figures. Like, like mm-hmm. let's not get this twisted that I don't, I do not think you need. And I think this is a very messed up narrative that is perpetuated because venture capitalists and investors are looking at resumes. They're looking at what school you went to because that's validation for them. But that doesn't mean that you are more capable of running a company because you went to business school. I know plenty of people that went to college, went to business school that have no business running companies or teams. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so when it comes down to, again, it's access, will it make it a little more accessible for you to gain capital? Probably because you have that alma mater, you have that network you can access. So Mm -hmm. I do not think that you need to go to college to be a successful entrepreneur. But if you're looking to raise capital, um, that might make it a little easier to do so. And then also we can't ignore the fact that the people that we reference, the Bill Gates, the Mark Zuckerbergs, the Steve Jobs, they're all white males. Exactly. So that that gives them another point of access that other people may not have. Yeah. And even to piggyback off of that, like something I I just released, um, which is the post you saw, I just released this episode on my, my series, Get Shit Done, about how I raise capital. And one of the things I pointed out is if you look at the women right now who are raising capital for their businesses, a lot of them not just went to college, but they went to business school, at least one of their co founders went to business school, not all of them, but a good majority. And I've met with investors who are putting together analyses of what companies will be successful. And they're basing it off of the data that's there. And that's already bias. So they're thinking that the best bets I need to bet on for these companies are companies that have this profile because they're using Mm -hmm. it off of the data that's at their, their disposal right now. And that is so biased so yeah. we perpetuate the system. I think that from one of the takeaways that I was getting from your post is the importance of women investors and basically being able to advocate for one another from that position of access and and being a decision maker. Do you think that that's one of the, the biggest ways to kind of help more women get investing and, and funds? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's a part of the problem. I, I think mm-hmm. 
So let me let me step backwards. So yes, having more female investors at the table is so essential because mm-hmm. what often happens is that entrepreneurs are creating companies where we're solving problems that directly affect us. So mm-hmm. women typically, uh, not typically, but a lot of times we go into beauty and fashion because mm-hmm. in terms of the consumer market, women are literally 80% of purchasing decisions. We have so much mm-hmm. power. And so we end up going into a lot of the things that we're consuming and building companies off of that. The issue is that the majority of investors right now are men who might not be able to relate to those products. So Mm -hmm. whether you are a female or even a black entrepreneur who is building a company, let's say in black hair, a Mm -hmm. white male may not understand that at all. He doesn't understand what it's like to not be able to go in a store and not find products that work for your hair and dry them out and all these different things because the market has been in his favor to him. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, I don't understand what problem you're trying to solve. So it's important to have people at the table that can say, yes, I can understand this because a lot of times, and the bias for many venture capitalists and investors is that instead of saying, you know what, I don't know what I don't know. A lot Mm -hmm. of times they they come to it like I'm an expert and I know this isn't going to work. And I'm like, but bruh, you don't even know the market. Right. You don't know anything about it. You don't have curly hair. (laughs) You don't, how you know what's going to work for it? Exactly. And so, yes, it's essential. Or we've had in my last company, we had, because we were in, even though we started with men's denim, but it was still fashion. And a lot of times they would be like, well, because my wife shops for me, let me run this by my wife. And I'm like, I'm sorry, are we doing a business deal or are we having your check? <laughs> and there's, and not to say that she doesn't have valuable insights, but that's the mm-hmm. things that you would hear like, oh, let me ask my wife or my daughter or whatever. And I'm like, can you get someone that might understand this, this market business? Specifically right. on the business side? Yeah. yeah. But the other thing I would say, um, on the flip side is that something that I preach about a lot is even though I, I raise capital, we are going into a very dangerous territory. And I think we're already there of perpetuating this narrative of you have to raise capital in order to be successful. Because when we look at the inks, entrepreneur mags, Forbes, a lot of times the features on quote unquote, successful entrepreneurs are the ones raising capital because you mm-hmm. get the notifications. Once you raise capital, a lot of it, sometimes, um, depending on the structure of your raise has to be public in some regard because you have to file it. Um, and mm-hmm. so you have things like Crunchbase that are basically monitoring it and then making that public. And then when someone raises capital, then all of these companies are like, Ooh, they raise all this money. So they must be successful. But right. No one understands, not no one, but a lot of people don't understand 5% of entrepreneurs, 5% of all entrepreneurs raise money from investors. Only 5% of that 5%, 2% goes to to female founders, which is atrocious. But Mm -hmm. we make it very clear, 5% is very small. The rest of the 95% other, like are not raising capital from investors. And Mm -hmm. when you break down the 5% that's actually raising, of that 5%, I think the majority of it comes from friends and family. We want to get super hyper-focused on angel investors and venture capitalists, but 
most of it, the big, big pillars coming from friends and family, that again goes back to access. It's like if your friends and family, you have companies that are getting investment, that 5% have a foot in the door because mom and dad can write a check. My mom mm-hmm. could not, my mom could give me a hug and say, good luck. <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. Write me a check. So I, I yeah. think when we talk about investment, yes, we need more female investors at the table, but we're, ve- we're really narrowing our gaze and what can be achieved by entrepreneurs and what success looks like when we only look at uh, companies raising capital from investors. And this is something that we touched on in the episode that Elena Valentine was on and just also thinking, yeah, she's so amazing. And she really was um, candid and talking about her own decision to not seek investors. And I think that a lot of times when people go into business, they feel like they need investors in order to be successful, not realizing the shift in the dynamics of their company structure when they bring in investors. And so I think that you personally experienced that with ZipFit. And can you talk a bit about that? Absolutely. And I think that's such a good point. And of course, Elena brought that up because she's a bad bitch. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we've had this conversation before. But I, I think it's, it's before I go into my story, I think it's important to talk about the fact that the majority of companies, you need some capital to start up. Let's, let's make it very clear. Mm-hmm. We are in a very great position today, better than our parents were, um, because there's people building million dollar businesses from their laptop. Mm-hmm. And so each business varies in terms of how capital intensive it is. So I don't want to get twisted, get it twisted that you need probably some, you know, upfront capital. That means for a website that you're hosting per year, if that's a hundred bucks a year or a laptop, or there, there's different variable costs. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of who can be your investors, I think that's where it becomes limited that everyone's like, I'm watching Shark Tank. Like I tell people all the time, I can't watch Shark Tank. It gives me heartburn because mm. it perpetuates this narrative of, I have an idea. I'm just going to go pitch investors and then, oop. I'm going to get some money. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like, no, it doesn't work that way. And actually, I think Shark Tank, they don't show you the behind the scenes, but there's a process that goes along with it. Typically, it takes, if you're talking to investors, it can take up to nine months to a year. I've had investors we talked to for a year or two, and then finally after two years invested. So wow, there, there's, there is some capital involved, but also looking at the fact that you can be your own investor. There are plenty mm-hmm. of people, we skip over the fact that Plenty of people bootstrap, majority of people bootstrap by keeping their day jobs. I hate when people are like, if you're not 100% in and doing this every single day, all day, every day, you're not really serious. I'm like, I'm sorry, what trust fund did you come from? <laughs> right. And- Who's I'm serious to- about these bills I got to exactly. pay. Exactly. <laughs> like, I will clap all the way back um, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, again, context matters. Who's saying that? The people yeah. are like, you're not in and did it all. And I'm like, there's bills to be paid and there's costs to run this company. So mm-hmm. what we don't talk about is the fact that you have the guys from Google, three years, they were accountants while they were building Google. Three years. Mm-hmm. Sarah Blakely from Spanx, five years, she was slaying in fax machines while she was building that company. Now it's a billion dollar company. Mm-hmm. And we don't talk about these very, very integral things. They had to fund their company some way. They were their own investors. That's what's super important. In terms of my journey with investors and what we don't talk about 
which is super important is they don't just give you a check and they're like, okay, be gone. Bye. No, yeah. they're, they're partners now. And I tell people you're dating for marriage. When you are talking to investors, it's a dating game. You're going on all these different dates. These are coffee meetings and all of these phone calls and such. And you're filling the other person out because the best advice I got when I started my first company in college was investors invest in people, not ideas. They are looking Mm -hmm. to invest in you. They're vetting you out. And that should be the same with them. The other side is for entrepreneurs. I think we can get so wrapped up and excited that someone can give us some cash. But Mm -hmm. you don't want to get into bed with the wrong person because once you sign on that dotted line, you are married. This person now owns a part of your company. They have somewhat of a say in it, depending on how much. I mean, even if if they get a board seat, Oh, you in for it, honey? Like they are, they are they in. Yeah, they for real <laughs> in, in your bed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But we don't talk about it. We have to be very conscious as entrepreneurs that it's not just don't just get excited that someone can give you a check. It's you're vetting each other out. So you want to look at the signs. This is in dating too. Do they seem like they'd be honest? Are they communicative? Will they be too controlling? Are they jealous? Like all of those Mm -hmm. things are so important. And so for me, something I realized later, we had, uh, we have, I mean, it's still alive and thriving. Um, We have some fantastic investors. You know, Mm -hmm. we had gotten, you know, some sneakers early on, but we bounced back and have incredible people on our cap table. But I think something that I didn't realize because that was my first funded company is that they are now your partners and the vision I initially had for ZipFit. And I think over time too, and this is why it's so important for co-founders to check in as the company is growing, scaling, getting investors to understand where do you think this is going and what role do you want to keep in this as it's scaling Um, Mm -hmm. is that we... I don't think we did those check-ins enough, or at least I didn't check in with myself enough to see, well, where, where do I really want this to go? And double check that that's in alignment with these partnerships with these investors that we're, we're now bringing on. Because mm-hmm. as we were shifting and not saying that it's the wrong direction, when I resigned from the company, the reason I resigned was that I was no longer passionate about the direction and the vision that we were going towards and it wasn't wrong. It just wasn't for me. And a lot of that had to do with, you know, we partner with these investors who brought their expertise and they're like, here's what we've seen work. And this is what we think you should do. And your, your investors also should be treated as advisors because they bring an expertise. But mm-hmm. I didn't take a step back enough to say, wait, is this actually the direction I'm passionate about and that mm-hmm. I want to go in? And I was just so busy building and going and moving so quickly. And I think that's something that when you are a funded company, it's really about scale and growing fast. I think people, that's the other side people don't realize is that when investors, especially VCs put in money, they want to see their Mm -hmm. money in five to seven years, a lot of the time, and they want 10 to 30 times their money back. That's a lot. And you have Mm -hmm. to go really fast to even do that. And sometimes when you're going that fast, you can't even take a step back to like breathe. You're like, wait, hold on. Yeah. And we're going so fast. Like, I don't even, did I miss the road? Did I go in, did I, did I turn <laughs> in the right direction or, and mm-hmm. so I, I think that I was so wrapped up in that. And one of my um, 
mentor, Sandy um, Castro, who's from IC SARS, who's incredible. She's based in Chicago as well. And she told me, because I was like, Sandy, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. And she's like, you know, Alex, I think that you have been in it for so long, you forgot how to be on top of it. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. that's real. So I forgot how to be on top of it. I got stuck in it. And I didn't take those moments to take a step back to say, wait, is this going in the direction I went in? By the time I did that check-in, I was too mentally depleted to move forward. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even, I wasn't even passionate about it. But um, yeah, it's still moving and grooving. And my, my co-founders are still running it. There's so many things that are so interesting about your story to me. Talking about finding your identity after yeah. separating from the company that you helped build from the ground up and when you've been invested in something because I've personally experienced that because my previous life career was in radio and television and I did that for 15 years and when I decided that I wanted to kind of move away from that specifically I realized that I felt like my identity was attached to that even though it wasn't my business that, you know, I built from the ground up, but it's just when you do something for so long, it becomes a part of you and you have to then realize that it's not you. It was just a part of you and you can still move on independent of that. And so can you kind of tell us a little bit about your process in not only identifying that that was what you were experiencing, but how you began to make that separation. Ooh, queen, yes. And it is so funny <laughs> because I remember I got the I got the note from you and I'm like, Lottie Swain, I know Lottie Swain. I looked at you for 10 years. <laughs> um, I didn't know you know you like that, but I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's such an important point you, you brought up. And it's something that's not discussed enough And it becomes such a sense of shame for founders when we separate. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I'm now on the coming up from the ashes from (laughs) what I I can describe it is that, you know, I left my my last company almost two years ago now. And afterwards, Mm -hmm. it was a, the way I describe it is I was being stripped to make room for what I'm doing now. And mm-hmm. that, I mean, think about when you're stripped there, you like, it's like, Oh my God, I'm in front of all these people. And like my clothes are being taken off. And it's like, wow, mm-hmm. like, who am I right now? And you just feel yes. this certain way. And so I went through that. I battled that for a long time. And I still have my moments where I'm like, it's so much better now when I can keep it in check where I'm like, don't get attached to the, you know, the titles and what you did or whatever. But I was mm-hmm. attached to the fact that I was a co-founder, I was a founder and an executive by 19. And then I was, Mm -hmm. you know, a a funded founder by the time I was 22. And Mm -hmm. and I got so stuck on these titles and these accolades and all of these things that Mm -hmm. were... Journal to yes, me. queen. Journal, yes. <laughs> and I made that who I was. I said that is who Alex was, and when you strip that away, I stripped that away. I was in the place of who am who am I? Who is Alex? Right. Yeah. And it was so. It was. I was shook. I was. It was. She was mm-hmm. shooken. Like it was. <laughs> like it was so rough, and there were there were rough days. They were rough months. And I had to completely mm-hmm. surrender at some point and really had to get to know myself again and say, 
I, and I'm so grateful that I went through that process because Mm -hmm. it has allowed me to show up and be ready for this next chapter that I was called to do. And that the universe was like, Oh no, honey, you thought you did some dope shit before. I need to teach you though, that the things you do are not who you are. You, they are merely just the things you are. You are the vessel to get things done. But Mm -hmm. I'm going to make sure you understand that because I need you to have that sense of confidence and that sense Mm -hmm. of strength and belief in yourself because what is planned for you now, oh, honey, you have no idea. It is so much bigger than you could have imagined. So, yes, I went through that stripped phase where I was shook. Like, I don't know who I am without these things. And Mm -hmm. it made me really get back to who's the core of Alex and what it really made me tap into that I'm so grateful for is my purpose and why I believe I was put on this earth and I believe I was put here. And it's the funny thing is it, it, it resonates in every single thing I have done. And that I do is that I believe I was put here to empower people to them, to empower themselves. And mm-hmm. I believe like a lot of people live into their names. Like my name, Alexandria means defender of man- mankind. And mm-hmm. I don't ever, I don't want people to need me. I don't think you need me. What I'm here to do though, is give you a resource, give you something, a tool, give you what you need. Then you can go do it yourself because I don't believe in victims. I believe in people that are fully capable, but sometimes they just need a little help and that's Mm -hmm. it. And Mm -hmm. I had to get to that point. And I'm so grateful for every experience. Even when I went to that low point to get to that point, to rediscover who I was and be even more rooted and grounded in it. And so how did you get to that point? So when you decided, okay, I'm going to resign, did you have a plan at that point? and say, okay, I'm going to take some time off and figure out what's next? Or did you say, I'm going to go get another job? I'm going to go start another business? When you when you decided to resign, what did you think was next for you? Or did you not know? And then how did you figure it out? I had no idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <and that's> been, <laughs> okay. I've always been the, like, and I think I get this from my dad. I'm, I'm a good split between my parents. My mom was very like type A logical. My dad was like, let's just go jump out of a plane today. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm both. And they were such a good match because, you know, even though my dad's like, let's go jump out of my plane. My mom's like, I'm down, but let's just make sure we have a couple of things we need. Um, right. mm-hmm. And so for me, I tend to lead with, I'm just going to go and do it. Like when mm-hmm. I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I figure, figure it the rest out later. <laughs> yes. I figure it out as I go. My mom yeah. cannot do that. Like, God bless her. I'm so happy she She's one of my balances. She's one of my rocks. Mm-hmm. She'll be like, okay, let's talk about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I didn't have a plan, but I just knew. And I, I think this is the thing that is overlooked as it, it was faith. I just had faith in that there I'm being called to do something else. And I know that the situation I'm in right now is not healthy for me because I was clinging on and I, I tell friends and um, people about my story where I say like, I should have left, I knew I probably should have left ZipFit a year before I did, but I was Mm -hmm. so clinging and comfortable to what Mm -hmm. I knew. And because I was doubting who I am and thinking that was a part of who I am, like, no, honey, that's Mm -hmm. what you did that I didn't Mm -hmm. leave. So I finally got to the point. I'm like, (laughs) exactly. I'm mentally like the, like when you don't, it's like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a very spiritual person. I saw this the other day. Um, but like, it's something like if, if, if 
you don't if if you don't have God's if you're not on God's path and your attention is directed somewhere else, He will disrupt what you're focused on so you come back to Him. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not a religious every time. So if you want to mm-hmm. call it the universe, if you want to call it whatever you want to talk about, mm-hmm. like He disrupted the crap out of what was happening. <laughs> to zip it to the point like I was mentally and physically so exhausted. Like yeah. I felt like when I walked into, at some point I was walking to the office and it didn't even feel like it was mine anymore. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I belong here. So finally I was like, I can't do this anymore. I I, I got to resign. And I had gone to like Burning Man. That's a completely different story. And finally, when I left <laughs> that, I, I went there with an intention, like, you know, what, I, I need to let go of this. And then when I finally left, I came, um, I came back and I was like, you know what? Yeah. I told my co-founders like, I'm, yeah, I'm tapping out. Um, and I didn't know what to do next. I just knew that I couldn't remain stagnant and in that place anymore um, because it was rooted in fear. Um, mm-hmm. And so I just figured I just started taking on different consulting things. And then a couple months later, I traveled. Um, and then after being in Budapest and laying on a, a, a bed at a tattoo parlor, getting my tattoo by myself. Mm-hmm. I had three hours to just think to myself. And I'm like, <laughs> um, I was sad because I was going back to, back to Chicago and I've been in Chicago for 10 years. I love Chicago. It has, it is such a big part of who I am today um, and shaping mm-hmm. that. And I was like, I didn't feel like there was anything I was going back to Chicago for. And mm-hmm. I'm one of those people too, that I'm, I'm not supposed to be in one place forever. Um, I'm supposed to move mm-hmm. around. Um, Look, so, my hand is in the air saying yes, I relate to that. Yes, <laughs> yes. And so I was just like, it's, I, I, it's time to go. And so I got back and I called who's one of my, who I call my soul friend, who is now one of my roommates in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I was just like, yo, I, we hadn't talked in a couple of years, but I found out she was in New York. I was like, can I come crash and just figure it out? And I crashed with her for two weeks and I was like, I'm moving. And so I packed up my stuff in Chicago. It was a really quick turnaround. It was just mm-hmm. so happened. My lease was up, um, in like a, a month. And so I packed up all my stuff, everything I could in a Dodge caravan. My brother flew from Seattle to help me drive mm-hmm. from Chicago to New York. I had literally, and this is where people get it messed up. I had a multi-million dollar company with my co-founders. We are not multi-millionaires. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, honey, let's not get too twisted. People are like, oh my God, you're mm-hmm. doing so well. And I'm like, there were moments where we were paying our employees more than us. <laughs> like, like wow. let's not get this twisted because you have costs to mm-hmm. run a company. Um, yeah. and so I left and I went to New York and I had two months worth of money in my bank account. I had no plan. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. knew that, uh, you know what? I'm not going to keep being rooted in fear something's telling me that's my next step. I'm going to figure out when I get there. And I did. And something just told you New York specifically, or had you always anticipated that was where you wanted to be? Or how did you decide where to go? I guess. Yeah. Um, I think it was a, a year before moving. I, a lot of my friends had started migrating to New York and everyone's <laughs> like, and a lot of my friends who were from New York, I'd lived there for a while. Everyone was like consensus. Alex, you need to, if anyone we, out of anyone we know, you are meant to be in New York. And mm-hmm. I had, I went there a lot for business and mm-hmm. I went to visit friends and the vibe, and it just over time, the vibe, I was just like, yes, I'm being called to this. And so it was just, mm-hmm. I think I had a lot of conversations and it just felt like it, it just kept being a repetitive thing in my head, like New York's next. 
And so now get shit done. The series consulting all about empowering women founders, helping them get their businesses and get their shit together and get their shit done. How is it evolving now and how can people benefit from what you are offering through through Get Shit Done? Yeah. What do you need to know about it? So Get Shit Done is, is oh my God, this when I love the stories from founders and a lot of times this is it where they're like, I didn't think this was going to come to this point. Um, but <laughs> I came to New York. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and prior to me leaving Chicago, I started coaching female founders. And one of my first clients happened to be a former executive producer for Oprah. And she co-created Super Soul Sundays. And she was like, this is, she's like, Alex, this is the best coaching I've had. And she was like, second mm. of all, you're a brand. I know a brand when I see one. I'm like, okay, hair flip. You worked with Oprah. Too. <laughs> and then she was like, third, you have the experience and the voice that I think female founders need. And so that is what helped me on the journey of that took me a year to launch Get Shit Done the series. Um, and in terms of the company, I started coaching and consulting because my my one of my mentors who introduced me to my previous co-founder he was the one once i left because he is has been on my journey for entrepreneurship since the beginning he's incredible um mm-hmm. he was like okay let's sit down and talk and so he was like what do you want to do next i was like i don't know he was like okay in the meantime you need to be coaching at that point i was like i'm thinking coaches are like tony robbins and i'm like i mean i'm not gonna make mm-hmm. anyone cry like i'm just I, I, <laughs> That's not my thing. And then he was just yes. like, he was like, no, 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 no. He's like coaching. Like it's, it's about what you are passionate about teaching um, and helping mm-hmm. people to think through. And I was like, well, I'm passionate about helping female founders understand how to grow and scale companies because I'm like, there's plenty of lifestyle coaches out there. I'm like, I'm business strategy. And the biggest problem mm-hmm. I have, because when I started the research behind get shit done, the series before I knew I was going to do any of this stuff, I was like, okay, well, I want to talk to female founders, understand what it is that they need help with, because there's so much content today, as you, I'm sure you are very well aware of. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't want to be another drop in the bucket. I want to actually add a lot of value to people. And so what I kept hearing from female founders was you took the topic of funding off the table because everyone goes to money first. That's always. Yeah. So I was like, okay, mm-hmm. we're, we're scratching that. What else do you need? And it went down <laughs> to how. How do I, how do I hire my first employee? How do I even picture an investor? Because you can't even, you can't even get money from investors or think about getting investment. If you don't even know your projection, you don't know what you need. You can't just say any money. You need to be strategic about, well, what do you need it for? And so it's all different things. And I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. So I was like, I want to coach female founders through that. Um, And then I consult companies on business strategy as well, um, underrepresented founders. And from that, I was like, okay, I love coaching and I love consulting. And again, going back to being your own investor, I knew I was going to build something else out. Um, I knew that and it was going to be a a platform rooted in impact and my purpose to empower people to empower themselves. And so last year it came to me, I'm like, my coaching and consulting are not scalable. And even though they are great, coaching is so amazing. And I still have my clients that I coach and I still consult. Um, but what I'm building now is get shit done the platform. And that is a scalable version of making sure you get underrepresented founders, the resources they need to grow their companies on their own terms. And I think that is something that is missed is that 
We have so much access today to things. You look at Netflix, you look at Spotify, and they're curating resources to help you get shit done in entertainment. Well, get shit yeah. done on your couch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, right. Get done on the go while you're listening at the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, mm-hmm. why don't we have that for business? Why don't we have that mm-hmm. for founders that are really trying to navigate this journey? So um, get shit done today is the platform I'm building out, helping female founders on a, or underrepresented founders, but starting with female founders to be able to access these resources on a scalable level because I'm only one person. And yeah. also from an access point, I mean, coaching is, again, it's such a useful and such an impactful tool, but not everyone can afford it. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't feel right just doing this. But there are definitely people that are like, I that love my coaching and they're like, yes, I need this. But I'm like, but mm-hmm. what about everybody else? And that's yeah. what I wanted to focus on. So I use my coaching and consulting to impact those really intimate relationships with people. Um, but on a scalable level, I'm building out Get Shit Done, the platform so more people can have access to business growth strategy and doing it on their own on their own terms. So if you want to learn more about it, um, I'm on Instagram, Get Shit Done Queen. And then my YouTube series, Get Shit Done with the I and shit is an exclamation point. Um, and you can find mm-hmm. that on YouTube and then it will be in podcast format in the next few months. Um, but yeah, that's my that's my main focus today. Yes. And, and I'm over here applauding because ah. the platform is so needed. Ah. So needed. Um, that's my biggest gripe (laughs) that's my biggest gripe that there are not enough resources specifically for women by women to help us get to our next levels and and feel supported and create that community and so i i thank you very much for that before i let you go i have um lonnie's last five questions that we are going to um run through so just whatever your first thought comes to mind what is your favorite act of self-care sleep (laughs) love it (laughs) and i didn't allow myself to because again there's that content that'd be like if you're sleeping then you're not doing it i'm like no 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 i'm I'm getting (laughs) ariana huffington and i'm sleeping my way to the top she needs her eight hours i ain't playing these games yes what's something you wish you were better at Ooh, that's a rough one um yeah, there's a, actually a few things. Um, I would say, ma- I would say managing people better. Um, that's mm. something where something I've been talking to friend a, a friend about recently is um, there's a difference between management and leadership. Managers can be leaders, absolutely, but not every leader is a manager. Um, and that's something I had to learn from myself is that I'm such a visionary and autonomous person. And Mm -hmm. something that I think that I learned from my last company was that I wasn't necessarily the best at managing because I, for me to thrive and to help move the vision forward, I have to have my space to do so. And so I'm good with the first few people. And they need to understand. And I, and that's why when I hire, I make that very apparent. Like, what is, I need to understand what your learning style is and what management mm-hmm. need. And so early on, those very autonomous entrepreneurial people are the ones that need to be in my corner because I don't have to manage them as much. And even though I'll mm-hmm. check in like, 
Where are you at? What can I help you with? I want to make sure you're getting what you need because mm -hmm. hiring people is a value trade-off. Like I'm yeah. asking for your expertise, but I'm also making sure that you're getting what you need to get to where you need to go in your career. But something that I wish I, I were stronger at and I'm working on is the management perspective because for me to build the company that I am building now, which is going to be massive is I have mm -hmm. to become a better manager. But one way that I'm going to combat that is I am going to have a right hand that is going to help me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. To handle that part too. Understand your weaknesses. Don't You don't have to try to learn all of them. Just understand how you yes. can get the resource to make it happen. Absolutely. What is your definition of success? Joy joy. Mm -hmm. And that's been for me recently. And that's something when I meditate in the morning, I always, I, I always say universe. I'm like, you know, I say three things, um, help me to find joy in today, help me to be rooted in my faith and help me to be rooted in belief in myself. And those are the only three things that I need that I believe to, to win. And so my mantra for the year has been, I saw this recently and I was like, yes, 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 is, <laughs> you know, when you are joyful, you always win. And you hear people Amen. who talk about this, the ones that are like, when I wake up every day, it doesn't feel like work because they mm -hmm. enjoy what they do. So things that do not bring me joy, I let it go because I know that is getting in the way of me winning and the way of me fulfilling my purpose. So I would say success to me is chasing my joy. Amen. And I think you kind of answered my next question, which was going to be, what's a quote or piece of advice that you live by? Would yes. you say that's, that one? That's mm -hmm. it. Chase okay. your joy. Chase your joy. My last and final question, what do you want to be remembered for? That is a fantastic question. Thank you. Thank you very yeah. much. Yes. <laughs> He's an expert at this. Um, <laughs> I would say... Honestly, it, it goes back to my purpose. I, I want, I want to be remembered for empowering people to empower themselves to help people to see that you have everything you need within yourself, everything you need within yourself. And that's not to say you're not going to need help along the way. I've had plenty of help. But I think when we get into a scarcity mindset, when we get into, I need this, I need this promotion, or I need to move to this place or have X amount of money to feel good about myself, that that's problematic. And so I think I want to be remembered for reminding people that you have everything you need and like just reminding them to see themselves, to know their power. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Lonnie Swain Show podcast. Please visit my website, LonnieSwain.com, where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, check out companion blog posts, show notes, and lots of other cool stuff. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Buzzsprout, CastBox, Anchor, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and my website. I love and appreciate all of your feedback. So don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with at least three people who you think would enjoy it too or benefit from the information. Until next time, go where you are celebrated and appreciated, not just tolerated. Talk to you soon.